Dear Ivy, There is something off about a few of the deckhands on the peacock, so I decided to investigate. I'll write more in my subsequent letter. Give my best to L&P if you see them. James. So I think as James is kind of wandering the narrow corridors of cabin rooms, he sees some similar doors that are like right outside of his. And most of them are closed as as he's going down. They've got a little porthole that can be covered. Kind of like look in and see what's going on inside. And he gets to kind of a section where the doors are closer together, indicating smaller rooms. And with his personal experience finding near the middle, the, the middle one is the is kind of like slightly ajar. And as you push it, you see six cots arranged around the wall. <laughs> and there's a loud squeak to the door as it opens. Yeah. He grits his teeth, opens it the whole way, or as, as far as he needs to, so that he can get in and mm-hmm. gets inside. So this room is a little larger than your personal cabin. Yeah, six people are sharing it. It has the same single fold-down like table and bench, one of the same style of the lanterns, no porthole of any kind. So the only light source is the lamps that are out in the hall. And then it's three walls of two bunks a piece. So the only light's coming from outside right now? From the hall right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's got a box of matches. So he lights a match and holds it up and tries to find one of the oil lamps on the walls or the gas lamps or whatever they are to light one of them. Yeah, there's basically just one in this room and it's it's to your left from the door. Turns to the left and lights that lamp so we can get a good look around. And it's pretty gnarly in here. It's got the smell of five, six guys sharing a room without a shower. Socks everywhere. Long johns draped over a couple of the beds. They're moderately made, the beds. They did pull the sheets over and all of that before throwing a few things on the bunk. There is a small locker behind the door on that wall that's towards the hallway where they could stash a few things. Is it just one locker? Do they each have like a little foot locker or something? They seem to be storing a few things like in a bag at the edge of their bed and then this one locker to share. I won't say it's like a single gym locker. It's probably like a double size, kind of like a little wardrobe. He's going to take a look around without messing too much stuff up. Not that they would be able to tell that he messed anything up if, if they came back. So rifling through their stuff, you see the same clothes that you've seen. Yeah. You got some smelly socks. You can tell which bunk Teddy's been sleeping in because he's bigger than the cot. Good. Yeah. There's a big indentation in the middle of the cot. It, it leans towards the middle or t- like towards the interior of the room. Like it's, he's sleeping on that rung and kind of. So I would definitely check out around that one to see if there's any identifying information around it. As you're looking around, you find a wooden box under the pillow. It's a smallish rectangular shape. Okay. Shallow or deep? It's probably about three inches deep. Okay. A foot by three inches by, just trying to picture ten, this now. Ten inches. It's a like a- by three by ten. Okay. Yeah. Uh, if you took he, like a like an old encyclopedia is yeah. what I'm picturing it's and a, made it a wooden box instead. large cigar box. Yeah. Okay. Anything on it? Any designs? It's not a cigar box. Or is it? 
It's not a cigar box. It has a lock on the front of it. It's the first thing that you notice. It's one of those like three dial number lock to it. Oh, okay. Not even a pickable. I mean, everything's pickable with the right, <laughs> with the right skill dugger well, roll. Not with my fish hook, because what I was about to take out. You could attempt to pick it with a fish hook. Um, I'm going to attempt to pick it with a fish hook. Definitely some kind of design on the front, but I, I can't think of how to describe it at the moment. Okay. Like shapes or lines or does it have any color to it? It doesn't have any color. It's kind okay. of like burned, burned into, into the wood. It. It's a little bit ornate. It's ornate and strange. It's ornate and strange. All right. Yeah, I'll, I will attempt a skullduggery check. Okay. Would be... I want to make it average, but I want to flip on it. Okay. Can I have a boost because I have a makeshift tool? Yes. And I think I'll give you a setback as well for the creak earlier of the door. It's got your heart racing a little bit. Yeah. Fine motor skills are a little bit more challenging. All right. You're going to be happy with the number of threats I just rolled, but it is three successes and three threats. Okay. Uh, So I think he tries to get the point of the fish hook. I think maybe he flattens it a little bit. Mm -hmm. He makes it straight and then tries to get the point of it in where the, I think it's called the hasp, where the hasp meets the body of the thing to try and trigger the part that keeps it locked, to push that out of the way. Yeah, I think you're able to slip it in. It's a tight fit, and I think your finger slips a little bit. You get cut a little bit on the hook. Ow. But the lid pops open, and the contents spill out onto the cot. Oh, puts his finger in his mouth and starts to try and gather everything together with his other hand. And you hear, I'll be right there, Ollie. Just chill for a second. Bell Duddle, you should have done that already before breakfast. It's Ollie, okay. Uh, he, as quickly as he can, gets all the stuff together, puts it back in the box, takes a quick look around the room, runs over the lamp, puts out the fire, and crawls under one of the beds. He has the box with him. He has the box with him. I will say quick inventory that James does while putting the things in the box. There's uh-huh. a leather-bound journal that's wrapped up, a pouch about fist size that has something soft inside, a couple of coins, and a pencil. Okay. Just as James is getting under the bunk and hiding, the footsteps get closer and the door creaks open. Dixie can tell me what to do. Thinks he's the Herald's favorite. Just wait until I get out of this thing, then we'll see. And you can see a pair of boots shuffling about. Looks one way, the toes point the other. You hear the sound of the lock being undone on the locker, and it creaks open. And then... I said, hurry up! Close the locker, the thunk of the lock, and then the boots head out from the room. Gets quiet again. He waits a good, good 30 seconds before coming out from under the bed. I don't think he relights the lamp. He puts the box back down on the bed that it came from and mm-hmm. lights a match and takes a peek inside the little bag that has something soft in it. I think the thing that James notices first kind of messing with that bag is it, it smells a little bit like flowers, huh. some sweet flower smell to it. And then it's got maybe crushed petals or something along those lines can inside. I, can I ID them? You can certainly try. <laughs> Great. 
So this is actually a lore roll. Oh, perfect. And it's a four purple. Yeah. And one two or setbacks. two setbacks. Two setbacks. Two, one for two darkness, setbacks. one because they're crushed up. Yes. Okay. It's not something I've encountered before. The smell seems familiar, but you don't have a recollection of interacting with it before. I'll, let's let's flip a story point. All right. Oh, nice. I have knack for it for myth, so I remove both of those setbacks. Oh, nice. <laughs> Still not great. Two failures. I have no idea what these flowers are. Is it? it just two failures, any threats or advantage? Nope. Just two failures. Just two failures, yeah. So he opens it, sees that they are crushed flower petals, takes a little sniff, closes uh-huh. it back up, opens the book, burns his finger on the match that <laughs> has now burned down, puts it out, lights another one, and takes a look at the book. I think James's heart skips a beat. There's a dark moment as he doesn't recognize anything that's been written in this book. The wording in the book appears to be similar to what James has written on his note. James, as a scholarly man, as quickly as he can, is going to... I mean, he he clearly has a good memory if he was able to write out that previous speech phonetically. I think he's going to sort of analyze the way this language works to the best of his ability on the fly and then later try and make the words that he heard the words that he read. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, Yeah, that totally makes sense. So yeah, he just scans the first couple pages trying to get the gist of what might be verbs, what might be nouns, what might be pronouns, what might be whatever else. Closes the book, puts everything back in the box, slips it under the pillow, and tries to sneak back out. Yeah, I think that the horn of the ship blows a long tone to indicate it's coming into harbor at breath, and James doesn't have any difficulty slipping back into the kind of bustle of the crew getting ready to dock. Yeah, I think he heads up back up to the places that he's allowed to be and gets to the rail and watches as the the boat comes into dock trying not to make eye contact with any of these sailors because any of them could be something else he's growing paranoid i think and i think that james plays a few of the the words that he picked out in the journal over in his head he definitely saw the word cassor yeah in there he saw a word that as he was figuring out how to remember it realized that it was a phonetic spelling of kinwich ah and there'll be more as he tries to put it together but yeah Cassor and kinwich stood out to him as not a good thing to see no not a good thing to see not after what mortaleg that story that mortaleg told so James has just made some big discoveries about a couple of the crewmates that he has shared the ship with. He's standing out at the overlook near where his cabin's at as the peacock is coming in to dock at Breath, the capital of the Klon Trading Company, a rich and free country. James can see as he's coming in, almost end to end on this tiny little island that belonged to no one before Klon came and established this town. The land is in short supply, and so 
he can see that there's a smattering of built island docks around. There's ships larger than I think he's seen before as well that have returned from the far west or are getting ready to head out. Everything that's anything that's traded pretty much comes here first. There might be the odd merchant vessel that makes a short run between towns and Kellybrook, but if it's the mass market of the world, the goods come here first. The peacock navigates its way in, pulls into one of these docks, and gets tied off, and James sees Arthur at the top of the gangway as some of the sailors head off to go get the crane operated or beginning to unload cargo. James has all of his stuff and he's skirting around people carrying heavy boxes and loads of things as they take the gangplanks down and makes his way over to Arthur and asks, when do we take off again? Oh, James, you're heading ashore. All right. Well, you should know we'll be docked for about three days and uh, we'll resupply and work on getting our trading permissions, our trading papers from Klon. Uh, you know how bureaucrats are, though. They'll probably wait until the last minute to actually give us the stamp. Yep. Most of the crew and I are heading to Land's End after we're done unloading today. Are we stay in there. You're welcome to join us, or if you need to, or would like to, you can stay on the ship. Captain Dunn rarely leaves, and so there will be always someone here. I was about to ask where people were staying, but no, I think I'll be uh, heading to land for the next couple of days, but you can count me in for the next leg of the voyage. I'll be back before, uh, before you set sail. All right. Anywhere you want me to send word to once we're ready to head out? What's the local educational hub? Is there a university here? Educational hub? Hmm. Never really thought about that. I bet there's a few archaeologist types that try and head out to the far west. I imagine they stay further to the south, the nicer part of town as a were. Archaeologists, huh? I was expecting like naval academies and business schools. But yeah, if you know an, a college that specializes in archaeology, please. I don't think Arthur knows to start with. I think that he, he thinks kind of gruffly for a second. He's like, I don't know, James. I don't really hang out on that side of town very often. That's where all the hoity-toity people live, if you get my meaning. But yeah, if you head further in to the south, you'll eventually get to where the board meets. Uh, some kind of like converted castle or something. You'll probably find something there. The board is the ruling group of the Klon Trading Company. I'll head that way and I'll send a messenger to the Land's End when I find a place. Sounds good, James. See you in a couple of days. He heads off. I think on his way south, he keeps an eye open for, I'm sure there are lots of shops, lots of people mm -hmm. selling things. He's going to keep an eye open for maybe a stand selling little paperbacks. Yeah. So it's not long before James gets himself oriented a little. He makes his way off the island docks into the island proper, and all the streets seem to funnel towards the center of town. And as he makes it closer, he can hear the hustle and bustle of a gigantic market and shops basically centered around the square, which is really a couple of squares in the center of town. He can pick out a, a bookshop kind of off. I see it more as like a newsstand than a, an actual like shop. But yeah, there's somebody selling some of the newspapers and magazines and things along those lines. He would like to find something that is sort of a horror thriller 
that features a person that transforms into something else. Hmm. Okay. But think that's findable? I think that's findable. There's a small, like, pulp fiction area with these magazines, and some of them are even the turn-of-the-century equivalent of a graphic novel. And I have some drawings uh-huh. in there and a little bit of story to go with it. And there's one with the a, a large face of a wolf with big fangs and bright red eyes. And it's the tale of Conrad. The Hill of Conrad. Okay. Yeah. He, he picks that up, pays for it, makes sure it has enough words to last him mm-hmm. a little while and heads back off towards the south. I don't think there's anything else he is necessarily looking for on the way. But if he spots somebody selling some sort of treat that will last the next few weeks, he will pick oh. something up. Maybe some like candied nuts or something like that. Candied yeah. ginger. I don't know. Anything that your heart desires can usually be found at breath. There's a bunch of food stalls and lots of preserved fruits and nuts. There's some dried apricots and raisins and things along those lines. There's essentially our world's equivalent of trail mix of nuts and fruits and things like that that'll last. And there's definitely a confectioner's shop as well. There's fresh fruit is abundant here. Almost no citizen of breath is lacking in anything. If you have the right credentials, you know, there's always a hierarchy to these towns. And as James is heading south, the buildings get more ornate and more uh, lavish than when he spotted the ones to the north. But business seems good. I think he makes the mental note that he's coming back here for lunch for the next three days. Making his way south, there's a larger road that people are, everything's crowded here. The Buildings can't go too much further out, so they are going up. Some of them look a little better constructed than others. Yeah, they're also built over water, so they probably can't go too far up. Mm -hmm. It's it's Manhattan meets Venice. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of waterways weaving their ways Uh through bridges. Stone bridges and arches have these canals. Imagine like water taxi, like Mm -hmm. uh, people with the gondolas moving along slowly with their long poles. And how sturdy is the ground? Is it just all boardwalk? Um, I think that it was boardwalk while you were getting off the ship yeah. and traversing the kind of built up piers and islands for even these gigantic ships to dock at. But as you get onto the island proper, there's a transition okay. and there's a lot of stone roads and things yeah. like that. You know that early on as a professor of history that Klon, one of the first things they did with breath was import a bunch of stone from some nearby islands. And as a result, the one town that Klon was supposed to be is really eight on a couple of different islands where they sourced workers and things along those lines to really make their capital the jewel of the trading for the known world. Heading uh, south, there's a larger road and the buildings are towering overhead, but you catch a glimpse of a big stone wall and a multi-tiered building inside. It's not a traditional castle fortification, you know, big stone sheer Uh walls or anything like that. It is more of a tavern or house or something like that. It's got the the roofs are angled and shingled. There's clearly like five or six big broad floors to this area. And looking at it, you would figure out that that is I don't want to go super cheesy. I want to call it the boardroom. 
It's the only only thing that came to my mind as well. Yeah, but it, it's the seat of power for yeah. all of Klon. It's a kind okay. of pagoda-esque in a way. Multiple tiers, each with a roof. Yeah. He hasn't been this far from home before. So as he's going, he's admiring the architecture, the construction, the ingenuity that went into building this city on top of water. It's all very interesting and new, and he's taking lots of mental notes on really the the way the world works outside of the city that he came from. James sees the lavish lifestyles that are being lived here. There's a few of the gondolas that go by that are carrying jovial groups of people. You can tell that Klon is definitely the melting pot. There's every uh, ethnicity, every culture reference here that's possible. Nothing seems to really be left out. And as he gets closer to the boardroom, I think he notices a, a section that are societies. I think instead of an embassy row, there's this society row. And you can see that there's a few different shops here and there. Most of them are variations of the name Society of Artifacts from the Far West or something along those lines. Are there any societies from where he's from? Yeah. So are these like this city's version of schools or, or, or college? Are they like groups of intellectuals? Yeah, I think so. Okay, cool. They also operate, uh, like each of them looks kind of like a an antique swap meet kind of place. They've got a bunch of things, but they've also got rooms to meet in. He's going to first, I think, seek out whichever looks like it might be, I guess just from the name, whichever looks like it might be most interested in strange esoteric things. Mm, okay. Mythology and folklore. Yeah. Each shop that you pass, each society seems to have a a couple of these artifacts on display in the window. They look like they are placed there to appear prestigious. The markings stand out to James as he looks at them as more of what a salesperson might call an artifact as opposed okay. to a historian. And he ends up heading further east down this way, back towards the harbor, and then it curves back around north. And so as you're getting further away again in the society row, so you're still in the southeast side of town, but as you get to the kind of north end of that, the shops get smaller and less uh, appealing and less ornate. And yeah. there's... This is more what he's used to. Yeah. There's actually a shop that catches his eye that is... The storefront is actually in the alleyway. He's been seeing rows and rows of window shops as he goes down. But there's a little sign hanging out over a door and there's a small step in this narrow alley. This sign sticks out into the middle of the alley. It's a wooden sign and it's painted with Dr. Frangine's shop of the weird and unexplained. This seems like the right place. And heading into this narrow alleyway, you get to the door. It's just a wooden door with a round iron handle on it and a sign that says please knock james knocks and the door creaks open slowly <laughs> uh james chuckles a little bit and walks in ulinwick has a place like this he imagines every town has a place like this every town probably has a place like this but buried beneath the strange superstitions and conspiracy theories there tends to be at least in james opinion a nugget of truth and some some real facts 
So he heads in. The door swings close and latches behind James as he comes in. And this little corner alley shop is, it's crowded in here. There's no good sight lines. There's a bunch of knickknacks and trinkets and artifacts hanging and scattered about. Can I do perception or mythology to see if anything's worthwhile? Yes, absolutely. You could do Which either would you of those prefer? things. Either? They're both the same, actually. Difficulty? Are you doing myth or perception? I'm going to do myth. You're going to do myth. Okay. Yeah. I think that one's hard. Okay. You can add a setback for it being cluttered and a setback for it being dark, and I'll remove them both. Okay. I do so. That is four successes and three threats. Okay. So you tell me, Mark, what kind of artifact does James find? I think it's labeled incorrectly, whatever it is, Uh but it should be more like divining bones or runes or something like that. Maybe something that I think the label on it says that they are from somewhere to the far west, but they are actually from southeast Kenwich. Okay. They are an old set of divining stones, things that fortune tellers would use to probably in in nine times out of ten swindle people out of their money. But there's that one time in ten, and these things look old and they look authentic, and maybe they were actually used by somebody who could do what they said they could do. But from that, he can tell that this place does have some genuine artifacts and probably okay knowledge, even though that label was not particularly correct. Yeah. There seems to be an element of that I don't think surprises James. I think this happens a lot when he looks around of it's labeled as coming from the far west, but it's actually from nearer. Yeah. Yeah. And and for people who aren't well-traveled or who don't do this sort of research, anything could be from the far west. Yeah, exactly. Things that are not explainable are easily explained by being from the far west. Things do seem to sell better when they are more mysterious. Yeah. As he's looking around, I think he tries to take in the room and see where somebody, maybe Dr. Frangin, might be hiding. Wow. And how many threats did you have? I think it was three. Three? All right. As you're looking about, a voice comes from behind you. Ah, you've got a good eye. Ah, you must be Dr. Frangin. Oh, yes. This is my shop. I'm Dr. James McCullough. From Elenwick, Elenwick University. Ah, yes, I get a few from Elenwick around here. You got your eye on those stones? They're from the far west, you know. I see that, yeah, they are from the far west. No, I'm not in the market for any seeing stones today. I actually was looking for somebody with maybe your expertise, somebody who might know things about this sort of thing gestures widely at the room. Well, you've come to the right place. Nobody has more artifacts from the Far West than old Dr. Frangine. Have you been to the Far West, then? Oh, several times. Can I do a check to see if yep. it's lying? You can't. I'm difficult. Uh, it's going to be average. Okay. And I think that you get a boost for because, because you've seen his shop. Yep. Uh-huh. Racking up those threats. That is four successes and two threats. Okay. Yeah. You can tell that Dr. Frangin has never been to okay. the far west. Yeah. How far west have you been? 
Well, the furthest I once went, let's see. There was a tribe that had this ritual dagger and I ended up there with a couple merchant marines and would you believe it, we saved this poor maiden's life from this horrific ritual sacrifice. In fact, I've got the dagger right here. It's for sale if you're interested. Yeah, I've got, oof, I've got tons of stories just like that from the far west. How familiar does that story sound to me? It sounds like complete BS. Uh-huh. It doesn't sound like anything that any of my companions have ever told me. I mean, I leaned on a past session uh-huh. to just make it up, but I yeah. don't think... That didn't actually happen. I, I think it sounds familiar enough that yeah. it's something that maybe he gleaned from a headlines. Are you familiar with the old tongue? The old tongue? Now, people say that I'm pretty old. <laughs> I kid. I do have a couple of desiccated tongues. I got that one from, oh, let's see. Yup, an old hag from the far west and many more. Yeah, if you're looking for old tongues, I've got several. I see. Show them to me. Yeah, okay, sure. I've always got a shipment coming in. Takes a couple months to get things from the far west. Uh, There's a few that I've kept out here in the front counter. Come on this way. He takes you to a counter, wipes a bunch of dust off of some cloths and all of that, moves a few things around. These are the best tongues from the far west, right here. And he's got a jar with some kind of liquid in it. Formaldehyde or something. Yeah, formaldehyde or something like that. And probably foot long, six and a half inch wide, like tongue sitting in it. That is repulsive. What? I thought you wanted old tongues. Uh, I did ask about old tongues. Yes, you are correct. What is the strangest thing you've got here? The strangest thing that I've got here? Hmm. Well, I mean, we've got, well, we already established the tongues. You've seen the stones. Uh, let's see. Do you have any mummies? We've mummies? Do I have any mummies? Of course I have mummies. <laughs> But I can't really take them out to show you. I mean, the sea air and all of that would just destroy them. So you would have to wait until you return to Elenwick to open that. That's right. I understand. Yeah, I can't have the merchandise destroyed by displaying them. They're from the far west and, uh, well, they're very expensive. Um, James would like to look around and find something extremely inexpensive. Okay. There is a little basket near the counter that this tongue is on that was under a few furs and other things. And inside this basket are about an inch wide rings, little silver rings. They are labeled as, what are they labeled as? They're they're clearly from the far west. Obviously. And they are bracelets is what it says. Okay. Well, I, I'm going to, I'm going to think about the mummies I'm going I'm going to think about the tongue but for now I'm just going to take one of these bracelets and if you could point me in the direction of any scholars who might be um, studying language ah, that would be very helpful language oh oh right right because you're a scholar yeah it's uh it's kind of getting late or I suppose I could just leave no no don't 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 leave I can tell you're a man of discerning taste, and while I can't show you the mummies, I could show you what we've got next to the mummies. What do you have next to the mummies? Yeah, yeah, okay, come, 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 come on this way, I will show you. It goes back around the counter. 
and you are kind of led through this weird windy maze of mostly junk <laughs> and i think james the discerning sort would notice that the the further back you go into the shop the more mundane the items start looking uh-huh. but they also start looking more foreign yeah so you have established yourself as not the the patsy so to speak of buying something in the front he's taking you to the back so you begin to pass less fantastical looking items but still masks and headdresses and outfits and kilts and things and you make it to the back and there is a few pine boxes that are kind of they're six feet tall and leaning up against the wall <laughs> um, they definitely look like what he would sell as the mummies yeah there may or may not be bog mummies in there bog mummies yes but he, he and he points it out to you if you're still interested uh, you can see that I've got a few to choose from but I can see that you are waiting a discerning person like you, I mean, you must be traveling. You might need something a little more on the Portable. go. Right. And he kind of pulls a tarp. All buried in the mounds with the mummies. And there's an array of unimpressive but interesting items kind of strewn about. And I'll say that there's kind of like a little tiered shell. And there's a few leather pouches uh-huh. kind of sitting about some cups and plates that are metal and kind of ancient looking there's what there's probably three pine boxes there so there's uh, a cauldron maybe yeah there's like a big kind of cauldron down at the yeah. bottom but in between those two are some ornate looking daggers okay as well Arak, these are very interesting Where were these found? All of these are from an island in the far west. They have an unusual custom of burying their folks with things that they'll need on, uh, what did they call it? The other side or something like that. I never learned the name of it. But supposedly these were all items that these poor dead guys would need that they uh, really weren't making any use of. So now they're here for you to enjoy carefully picks up one of the daggers and inspects it. It's uh, probably about probably about a foot long in a leather sheath. All of it shares this kind of intertwined knot motif and there is a jewel at the pommel, where the pommel would be if it was a sword, at the, the very edge of, end of the hilt. What what price are you asking for these artifacts? Two thousand. Two thousands. Pretty steep. There's a genuine ruby right there, and that one's a sapphire, and this one's an emerald. I mean, they're pretty pricey, I'm not going to lie. That, that's quite a bit. It's a, it's a bit over my budget. Do you know the name of the place where these were found? While James is inspecting the items uh-huh. and looking through them, or looking at them, I will say that he has a moment where he smells a familiar smell that he very recently smelled. Hmm. The flowers. Yes. Is it just in the air? Is it coming from a particular item? Well, it's because he picked up the dagger, and as he's inspecting the dagger, he's kind of smelling it. Hmm. It's faint. It's kind of obscured. It appears to be around the dagger, but not emanating from the dagger. Yeah. He sort of turns it in different directions. 
looks at the sharpness of the edge. Does this item appear like it was made recently? Is it in good condition? Or is it old and bad condition or old and good condition? I think it appears to be old in good condition. Okay. The It doesn't appear to have been used ever. And the sheath and leather bindings around the hilt show age. They've got the cracks of kind of drying out, but the blade itself appears to be well oiled and rarely, if ever, pulled from the sheath. Does the knot motif have any particular design to it? Any like animal design? Not off the top of my head. No. Okay. It can. It can definitely have one, but I don't have one in mind. Okay. Turning the blade over and kind of inspecting the items on the shelves. I would say that there's a, the leather bags about fist size seem to be, to have a stronger smell if you're following your nose. Yeah, interesting. Where did you say again these were found? Um, these are from the most far west nomads. We found one of their burial grounds near a landmark called Drew Amar. Drew Amar, okay. I think that's how they say it anyways. It seemed to be the kind of place where they laid many of these folks to rest. Interesting. He puts the, the blade down and moves over to those little little pouches. Do you know anything about these? Those? Uh, as far as I know, they were just keeping everything in the mound from smelling too bad. Hmm. They don't have any other purpose? He clearly looks like he's trying to find a purpose for, with your experience with him. Okay. But he's unaware of any. Okay. It's interesting that they're still so fragrant after years buried. Do you know what kind of flower these are? It's so familiar. He looks and pauses for a second. I don't know. I just thought it was potpourri. You can still smell it? Can't you? I mean, these guys have been buried for a long time, and it doesn't really smell like much of anything to me. How much are these bags? Well, if you get one dagger, I'll throw in the bag for free. How much are the bags if I don't get a dagger? Why wouldn't you want a dagger? Because they're quite expensive. And as I said, I'm a scholar. Oh, well, I guess I could let a bag go for 12? 10. I'm never doing business with scholars again. Yes, sure, fine, 10. How about this, 12? And throw in uh, one of those silver bracelets. Oh, yeah, the arm extenders. Yeah, we got that. The arm extenders, sure. Sure, yeah, no problem. He takes the bag and they hand it back out to the front, grabs one of those silver rings and puts... I don't suppose you take Helenwick coins, do you? I mean... He kind of taps them on the table. Well, they seem close enough. I'm sure I can get someone to exchange it around here. That, that'll be fine. Well, it's a pleasure doing business with you, Mr. Doctor. Sorry, Dr. Frangine. You too, scholar. If you'd ever like to come back for one of the mummies or for the dagger or even that old tongue over there, we've got it. I can definitely cut you a deal. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Foxglove Letters. We hope you've enjoyed the adventure so far and can't wait to see where the story goes. Before we go, we want to let you know that we love hearing from our listeners. If you have a question for our players, their characters, a comment on the story, or just want to say hello, drop us a line at diceycantina at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube at diceycantina for behind-the-scenes artwork and world-building. 
Or if you just prefer to chat, join the Discord. Links to everything are in the show notes. If you're enjoying the show, please consider giving us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast platform as it helps us grow the show and reach more listeners. The Fox Club Letters is a creation of Dicey Cantina, playing Genesis by Edge Studio. Until next time, dear listeners, don't forget the words of Mr. Cunningham when he said, don't just watch the world pass you by. Reach out and grab the stars.